Welcome to episode 69 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And hey, we're, we're in New York and we have an apartment. We had to have that last week. Um, but now we even have furniture, some furniture. Some furniture, yeah. We, we had a bed and we had internet, but uh, we didn't have anything else to sit on. Now we have a dining room table, two chairs, and I have a, a cushy... A cushy uh, old man chair. Old man chair, because I'm a cushy old man. <laughs> yeah, and soon, Tuesday, we'll have a, a sofa, a small sofa, for our small apartment. Yeah, we're. I think we're 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 doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I uh, I find feel like I'm finding a groove here in New York, being able to uh, get in a routine and a rhythm. And now that we have furniture, we don't have to sit on the floor, and uh, it's it's helping out a lot. I uh, I was cool until yesterday. It was cold. Yeah, it's actually starting to chill down a little bit. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to complain. I mean, today was was. Pretty nice, but yeah, the nights are getting cold. We're having to shut the window, turn off the fan, and um, eventually, I'm gonna have to start wearing pants and uh, and a jacket. Yeah, I'm 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 trying not to think too much about how um, my fragile self will survive the winter, but oh well. well. I think I think we're uh, we're doing pretty good as far as getting a cozy little place together and. Uh, we're finding a rhythm with the podcast, and I'm, uh, I feel like I'm getting into a groove with work. I've been doing a lot of writing, and um, even though it's, I would say, um, kind of API blah, 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 as usual, there's not really anything too exciting from the API space. I am finding a groove, kind of writing what needs to be written, um, my guides, my white papers, things that make money, but also help people understand the space. And, uh, uh, but I think our podcast helps with that, helps me kind of think through and talk through it, but we kind of struggled this week trying to find things that weren't exactly, um, kind of what we talked about last week. Yeah, I think that that's actually, in some ways, it feels like, you know, as we were sort of talking through, um, the possible topics for today, that feels like the theme of, of today's show, which is the fact that we seem to be repeating ourselves, um, and I don't just mean in the podcast, right, that it seems like every week we talk about the dangerous ways in which Trump wields social media or the ways in which social media, Twitter and Facebook are undermining democracy or um, the ways in which these technology companies are shaping, you know, shaping dominant narratives. Um, but it's sort of like the it, it feels as though um, you and I spend a lot of time pointing things out again and again and again. And I think that, I mean, today was, we, I was like, what are we going to talk about? Like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing yet again. Well, I think we, both of us kind of go into the, the, the doldrums and the, and the kind of lows of our, uh, you know, we've been doing this seven years. So, um, and you're always saying, you know, I'm really getting sick of being the Cassandra and being, you know, I told yeah, you Yeah, I so. didn't choose that name, right? <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who started calling you that? Or someone you know, on Twitter. Someone I don't on Twitter. But, uh, you know, and I feel like similarly in the API space, you know, I have to really say a lot of the same old stories over and over. And I actually wrote a, a, a piece this this week on my blog about that topic, about how how I have to actually really work to write um, 
you know, hopefully interesting pieces um, about the same kind of topics over and over from different angles. And it takes a lot of work, not just to to kind of go over the topics and find the interesting tidbits, the interesting companies, people, uh, technologies, uh, approaches, all the, the things that takes to actually find something to write about, but actually really just muster up the energy to, to, to care about it. So that you're not um, just like posting. I mean, I often feel like I could write something new or I could just see, just post like, or, you know, read the story that I wrote in, in 2011. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> honestly like I could I should probably start doing that going back through 2012 and 13 and just rewriting some of it because I'm sure some of it would make me cringe. But uh, I I really actually enjoy pushing myself, getting to the point where I can uh, you know come up with a new new angle on my own based upon what's going on, and it it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy, but. I like getting to the point where I actually care. I mean, it's not always like I'm super passionate and pumped up and, and excited, but um, I, I reach that point sometimes. But it, you know, just getting the work done and doing it consistently is important because it's it's beating the drum. It's it's echoing what we've been saying yes for the last seven years. But that's how I feel the things actually get out there. Well, do you feel as though? I mean, partially, it's that. Um we feel like we're repeating ourselves, but for a lot of people, it is like the first time that they've heard it, which is super frustrating But uh, if you're the person but who's having to repeat yourself. But, I mean, I do think that um, there is, you know, having, like, repetition is sort of how things things do get picked up. Um, but but for me, it's it's also it's also sort of, it's just also exhausting. Like, I really... You know, when going through the list of possible stories this week, um, Zainab Tefeski wrote something about Facebook. Um, Alexis Madrigal wrote something about Facebook, about um, Facebook's unwillingness to sort of recognize its culpability um, in in, uh, in undermining democracy. And, you know, Facebook sort of insisting that it's neutral um, and that Mark Zuckerberg saying that it's a good thing that everyone's mad at us, as though somehow that you know, make, puts him in a better place sort of ethically or politically or intellectually or morally. But, um, I feel like, you know, I mean, although, yeah, I mean, it's great that these stories that, you know, that these stories are, that these stories about a criticism of tech are being picked up and picked up and published in high profile places. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, at some point, and like you said, perhaps it's just the ebb and flow of our of work for us. Like it just feels exhausting. It is exhausting, and it's. I mean, I wish everyone would just get it. You know, the first time you write it and understand it. But for me, I, it, you know, writing is actually part of me understanding it. I mean, a lot of. I had someone tweet out earlier today uh, some snarky comment about something that I had said, and. And I'm actually just learning as I'm doing this and, and, and figuring all this out. And I would say I have two main channels right now is one, my usual API evangelist trying to understand APIs and algorithms and, and, and how, you know, Twitter and Facebook are being automated in these ways. Um, and as well as up every other platform. But the other is, is figuring out myself, you know, just kind of working through my own uh, views of the world and people around me and people I know and 
and in the part of this process, I realize how dense I am as a as a white male. Sometimes that I it takes reworking and and hearing things and putting it out there and then thinking about it, going, oh man, that's really messed up. And I was doing that for like years. I was saying that and doing that thing. I mean. Um, you know, something like, like the free speech argument, you know, you have to protect the worst among us to, to, to preserve First Amendment rights. You know, I said that garbage for years. And then, you know, in the last couple of years, I've kind of unpacked that. And especially this year, really realized how, how damaging that is and how, how much a part of the kind of machine I am by saying these things. So, so writing and saying these things over and over is how I work through them. And I, I have to think that, that people are, that are, not as hardworking on some of these problems of figuring ourselves out. Just need to hear it over and over and over. And then eventually, or maybe slowly, they're going to wake up to some of it. I mean, I, th- I think so. I mean, and I, I would say, too, that although, I mean, it does feel as though, um, for me, it feels as though I'm saying many of the same things that I have been since I started Hack Education in 2010. At the same time, the... Um, the the power of um, you know what I dub this of dub Silicon, Silicon Valley, but I often want to have a little asterisk. Is I don't just mean geographically Silicon Valley as a as a place. I mean it as an idea, right? As an ideology. I mean it as an industry. Um, but you know the the power of of Silicon Valley has grown um, immensely over the past seven years. Um, the, 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 the influence that these companies have on how business is done, um, how school is done, but obviously, you know, how, how politics are done and how, how we think about society, how we think about communication, um, that these, that these companies, that these companies have sort of become more powerful. Um, and so things, things have, Changed in, in some ways. It's not as though we're dealing with. It's not as though dealing with um, Facebook in 2017 is just like dealing with Facebook in 2010. Um, it's become even more of a, um, you know, even more of a of an influential entity. So, you know, I mean, I think that you know things things have things have shifted, um, but it, it's it still feels as though, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel as though it's, it's hard because, you know, one of the stories, I, um, well, there, there are a couple of, of things we could, we could talk about today, but one of the things that was in the news, um, this week, uh, made me recognize the ways in which I think part of the problem is that we just, again, I'm repeating myself. We have very little historical, um, reflection on, uh, tech um, and people seem to forget what's happened, you know, even three months ago. All the, um, you know, we have just very, we're just sort of very myopic when it comes, or very in the moment, very future focused if you're Elon Musk, but very little um, recognition of what's happened in the past. Yeah, well, I think that, that I feel like that's kind of the, uh, the intoxicating uh kind of vapor around technology is that people seem to it seems to make you kind of forget the past and and just focus on the future but um 
and and repeat that over and over. I mean, maybe that's why we're having to repeat repeat ourselves. Is is people just seem to always think that that the latest thing is is the next cool thing, and they forget the the last three of those things didn't actually go anywhere, do anything, and they're just as excited about this. But I think where I start, I'm feeling a little more hopeful. I mean, I still get a lot of the the really um, just totally under the influence of tech people when when I when I speak out against that that pushback and 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 don't like you know they they seem to just really have fangs really quickly but I see a lot more people talk speaking up and and questioning it and not just questioning the tech but questioning the business model I'm seeing more people yeah that's uh, I, th- I mean I, and I would say that both in your in your world and I would say you know more broadly speaking I mean there's a reason why I think some of this um, that we're hearing more, um, that the, we're hearing more criticisms of, of, uh, Silicon Valley. Um, I think that, that, that people are, I think, shifting and, um, and are much less, um, naive about the power and the promises of these technology companies, right? For, I mean, for a long time in, in my world, it would be very hard to convince a, a room full of educators that Google was anything other than um, a benevolent corporation whose motto was don't be evil and who was really interested in organizing the world's information and making it accessible. I mean, I think a lot of folks took Google as being um, really benevolent, right? Um, and I think that people are, in general, people I think are much savvier about, um, about this, yeah, but I still think, um, I mean, the the money part of it, people, I, I feel like part of that, elect, that that vapor around it isn't just the tech, it's the business, it's the money. People seem equally stupid about the, about the technology as, as they do for the greed. And even though, you know, I'm definitely hearing people question both sides of it, um, people seem to still be able to throw throw some money at things and, and people immediately kind of, forget and and jump on the train again even if they were asking some questions so i feel like the the repetitive nature of what we're doing is to keep reminding people because some people really easily seem to quickly lose their way i mean in your newsletter today um or this week was people you know trump called for um you know, said that they were going to spend more money on on education technology, and everyone, every time someone throws out a big pot of money like this, everyone seems to line up. Even you know, some of the the people who are seem to be being critical in the tech space will just immediately like go, you know, stand straight up, and go, yes, I'm part of it. Yes, this is great. Think of the amazing things that were going to happen, despite you know the the last five times someone threw a big pot of money out like this. Um, what happened, you know, and so it seems to have a real, I don't know, um, you know, contra effect to what we're doing as far as our repetitive nature. They just keep throwing out money each time in the same way. Well, I um, actually want to talk just a a little bit about this. Um, I saw the, when the news came out this week that um, the White House had announced uh, $200 million grants for uh, STEM and computer science education. I saw it via um, a 
tweet or, and then a blog post from code.org. And to me, it immediately seemed a very odd thing to be, um, to be, uh, Praising, I, I mean, partially because if one looks at how the governments, the branches of government, the White House doesn't control the purse strings, Congress does, right? So the White House can say, well, I'm earmarking this money. The White House can propose a budget, but unless it's coming from White House funds, it's, 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 it's sort of magic mystery money. And of course, we have to remember that the that the Trump administration also, in its budget proposal this year, axed $9 billion from the Department of Education's budget. So to turn around and say, well, we have a $200 million a year commitment to computer science education, to me, is sort of offensive that that would be something that we would cheer for. Because if you've cut the budget by $9 billion, and now you say, of what's left... 200 million of that a year is going to go to CS education. Uh, I got a lot of questions, right? I got a lot of questions. And I got questions about who gets that money, how is, like, what is that, what is that money, right? And I have a lot of questions, in particular when the glee comes from code.org, which is, at the end of the day, an industry-backed organization that seems to want to you know, shape the narrative about what should happen in schools, what's, what students should be taught, and how students should be taught. Um, this isn't some sort of, you know, it gets wrapped up in sort of this inevitability of technology and that, you know, 21st century job skills, blah, 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 um, that, 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 you know, it gets wrapped up, I think, in, in demands for the kinds of workers, quote-unquote, high-skilled workers that employers want, but it has very little to do, I think, about some of the other crises that are that are happening in this country. We've talked, you know, like, I mean, this question of civics, civics education, democracy, um, but sort of computer science education feels, it feels very, it feels very unsettling to me to have, um, to, to be, to have this cheered. And of course, the, um, the Obama administration also earmarked a ton of money that was supposed to go to these very same efforts as well. And sort of, it's this follow-up of what, hap what happened, like, I think Obama promised a billion dollars a year for computer science education. Like, it doesn't, it didn't happen, it doesn't happen. Tech companies chimed in and said that they're going to commit $300 million a year to support computer science education. And they did something similar on the Obama administration. It was called the Connect Ed Initiative. And the kinds of promises are not actually cash, right? It's not actually, you know, um, Tim Cook signing a check and, or, well, we could even say Apple paying its corporate taxes. That's not what they're doing, right? They're doing tax write-offs. And they're actually giving products in free products or discounted products to schools as part of this initiative. So it's already like, to me, like not something that we, or it's, it's something that we should be super critical about, like, or ask a lot of questions. I mean, one of the things that, if you look at the list of companies that promised software to schools, 
um, under the ConnectEd um, initiative, it was like Adobe saying that they would offer free licenses for the PowerPoint or excuse me, Power uh, Photoshop um, suite of, of tools to schools, or Prezi saying that it would give its licenses to free for free to schools. And I didn't realize I can't imagine that anyone would pay money for Prezi anyway. Um, so like this is this is not actually something that again like you know provides. Um, an equitable education. This isn't something that addresses structural inequality in schools. This isn't something that addresses the quality of education, the quality of curriculum, the quality of construction, the quality of kids' lives. This is about um, a branded op, a branded and branding opportunity for multi-billion-dollar companies to to make sure that it's you know that it's Adobe's products that are being used in art classes, that are Microsoft products that are being used in business classes, you know that it's it's a that it's you know a certain brands versus a certain brand of 3D printers, a certain brand of of learn to code textbooks. Um, and again, I don't I'm not sh you know I'm not sure at the same time that you would want to cut money. Um, from from the budget, things that help with after school programs, things that we know actually we've seen research say that these do improve kids' lives, particularly low income kids. Um, this idea that corporations get a tax write off and a PR, you know, of some free PR from folks who act really excited um, that the future that the future is about the sort of again industry generated arguments around learning to code. And so uh, um, as part of my Spencer research, I've, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in for my project is finding out sort of how do, how do these ideas get spread within industry, within the tech industry, ideas about education, and then how do they, you know, how do they get spread to become policy? And, you know, code.org definitely is, a, is for me, and, and more generally learning the sort of learn to code argument is really, um, it's really, it's one of the things I'm going to focus on is sort of unpacking the money and the connections behind this argument. Like I learned this week that the head of code.org, um, Hadi Partavi, is on the board of directors for um, Axos, Axios, I think it's called, Axos. Um, people know it better by its former name, Taser. So here's a <laughs> and like you know, how, how do we how do we reconcile the person who's in charge of suggesting that you know everyone learns to code, leading an industry charge for this to be um, part of um, every American student's education, also sitting on the board of directors of a company that's about um, surveillance cameras on cops and non-lethal weapons. Sounds like a. a a school to prison pipeline opportunity to me. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know if, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I think it's, it's actually just about sort of, uh, you know, what are the, what are these sort of industry, you know, what are these sort of industry values, right? Because Taser, again, like, you know, the police force um, is a, is, is a public institution for better, for worse, like schools, you know, what does it mean that these tech, not that these tech companies, like Taser, get to sort of 
push narratives that make their products become necessary, right? And what what what's the ideology? What are the what are the narratives that that are that we're hearing to make it so that body cams, right? Body cams become quote unquote the solution, right? Um, why is it you know? And I think that there's a sort of like there is a, you know there is a sort of a solutionist um, argument that if we just have body cams on cops, then we're going to fix we'll fix police violence. Um, and it, it's again, it's a branded solution. Like ta- Taser, you know, we like we know the name Taser. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's about branding, and it's about. And I think that there's something. I mean, again, like this is angry Audrey day one of this, but I'm really interested in looking. And I have been for a while, but I'm interested in looking at you know how do how do we go from having like Mayor Bloomberg, for example, tweet that he's going to learn to code using Code Academy. Right? Who? How? Who are the people who are influencing this conversation, and how does it end up? How does it end up being something that the Trump administration, which really so far has wanted to undo everything, everything that the Obama administration has done, why is why is the Trump administration still um, down with learn to code? What what else is going on there? And and the answer is not because coding is the future. That's that's not the answer. Well, it really feels like how do you, you know, how do you pull, you know, play the puppet strings and and get people to to kind of get in line with with a certain way of thinking. And and the Trump administration doesn't even have to really throw this money out out there. It's like you said, they they cut from over here, they promise over here. And then it seems like some of these companies who may have been being outspoken in other ways um, seem to fall in line because their first allegiance is to their shareholders and their investors and, and the technology. They're beholden to the technology. They believe that it's going to work. It's the solution. And so if they're over here, you know, squawking about, you know, net neutrality or, you know, any other, you know, social justice issue or anything that's that's causing, you know, um, the Trump administration or, or other folks, you know, stress. Um, how, how do they, you know, kind of yank the chain and play the puppet strings a little bit? And then everyone kind of lines back up in a neat little row and listens and, and does what they're... Because they want, you know, a- access to this pots of money and be able to throw their, um, their products on the table and get this opportunity. They don't want to blow it. So it's a real quick way, you know, to to use money alongside technology to to keep people in line. Well, and I I mean, in the case of Code.org, I mean, I think one of the things that um, always raises eyebrows for me with Code.org too is, again, these this use the sort of narrative that they're promoting. Um, they Code.org works really fast and loose with statistics that it likes to quote. I mean, it's definitely one of the organizations that says, for example. You know, there's this shortage of high skilled labor. They like to say that there are five hundred over five hundred thousand computing jobs that are currently unfilled, which is a de- which is a debatable like which is a highly debatable statistic. It's not actually confirmed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Does not share this. It's but it's it's something that Code.org likes to say. They say that um, you know three quarters of new jobs in coming years will be in STEM fields. Again, if you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. If you look at the jobs that are that it predicts are scheduled to grow, we should not be teaching everyone to code. We should actually be teaching everyone to work in home healthcare, right? That's <laughs> the future of jobs is not code. The future of jobs are low pay, service level jobs in health in the healthcare sector. The healthcare sector is the growing sector in the U.S. economy, and 
that you know that this is not the narrative that we're being that we're being told and you can say yeah well even if you're a home health nurse you should, you'll still have to have some technical technical skills like i'm not denying that that some sort of familiarity with the digital that we should sort of keep students in the dark about digital technologies right that's not my argument but i think that you know this this um, praising of a particular future and a particular future that you know all of these tech companies can jump on and say, oh yeah, we're you know we're we're donate well we're get, we're in we're not going to tell you how much money we're in but we're we're definitely in you know and to get you know to get the sort of um, press release to get their name in a press release you know to say that like you know I mean like Quicken Loans was one of the companies that said that they were you know, going to had money earmarked for, uh, as part of the surrendered million learn to code initiative, Quicken loans. I mean, what the, like, stop it with, you know, and like, again, it gets an intuit gets, you know, like what the hell is intuit? Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Like the, if the future is learning to code, then like the future is not into it, right? You can pick, <laughs> pick one or the other, right? Like, I mean, so Intuit is going to get to say, oh, well, we, you know, we, we, gave, we gave students a little rundown on financial literacy, and so we get, like, a tax write-off, and we get some government grant money, and we get good PR, and we've, we've helped the, the nation become more, you know, digitally literate. It's just horseshit. Yeah, and I mean, the, the learn to code thing is just, you know, part of that virtuous cycle that, you know, the future is technology. Everyone needs to get on board with it. Everyone needs to learn to code. It's the magical future. No matter what... How, how our current world is unraveling right now based upon the, the current code base that we've written, uh, you know, and the current algorithms we have in place just keep doubling down that, the, that this is going to be the future. And the more people it seems that you get into these, um, you know, kind of coding way of life, you know, we, we seem to fall in line with this message and drink it, you know, drink the Kool-Aid pretty, pretty uh, happily and, and then start you know, playing the startup game, which then hooks us up to the puppet strings that are, you know, we, we stop, uh, you know, saying, you know, how we feel, we stop being vocal, because we want to really get that, you know, next really good job, or that next round of funding so that we can, you know, do what we want to do. And so we become kind of part of this, 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 this overall orchestration. And then it seems like, you know, as that makes its way up into government, up into policy, that um, you know, all all you got to do is promise that hey, you're going to be part of some you know government investment in this area, whether it's it's drones or energy or or learn to code, and people kind of you know jump on that bandwagon. So there was a really great story, um, or I guess hashtag long read in the Atlantic this week called "The Coming Software Apocalypse," which to me felt like a nice. Um, alternative vision well i mean i know a title with a title coming software um, apocalypse it doesn't sound like a, a nice alternative vision but it's to me it helped unpack why the learn to code thing is sort of not we're not thinking about this in um necessarily in in a in a really intelligent way and it's um I, we've never talked about this on the podcast because it was work that we've done a while ago but i think that it sort of gave a nod to some of the work that Brett Victor um, has done in the past. And, and others, I mean, if you think of some of the other visionaries, 
quote unquote visionaries in computer science that were that really had hoped that the future of programming was not programming per se, that it was actually being able to solve problems and that computers would be leveraged in solving actual problems. And what this article argues is that um, engineers today spend so much time on the code, right? So futzing with the code, working on fixing errors in the code, that the code has sort of become reified as this like, as the thing that we're working on. Like we got to fix the code rather than actually addressing the problem that purportedly the software would, is, is, should be addressing, right? And so we become fixated on code. I mean, and that's again, like part of this learn to code, like learn to code is, I mean, if, if code, if, if coding can get you to address whatever you're working on, then sure, right? Um, yeah, but code, it, like code itself is, is not this, um, code, code for the sake of code actually has us in a court. I mean, in this argument, this article makes, I think a really great um, uh, argument code for the sake of code and also coding, um, a, a fixation on coding actually will make some problems unsolvable and create new problems because we are, we are not actually thinking about the way in which a world, um, uh, computerized or a world technologized is going to function because we spend so much time or because the people who know quote how to code, um, aren't interested in a functioning world. They're interesting, interested in, um, code that compiles, if you will. Well, and you're just indoctrinating more folks into this kind of this this cult or dare I say religion, um, uh, as some people would like to see it, and they 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 you you get down into these weeds into this into this world, and you are you're you know, I mean, I've seen you change um, you know your your kind of persona and, and kind of tone how you when you start getting into your data and you start doing the liquid and working with JSON you very much change um, kind of how you interact or don't or don't interact with me and I know I get the same way when I'm down in the code in the weeds I'm very different than when I'm telling stories and writing and this is one of the reasons I'm really push people to do APIs and and not because I think APIs are the solution I think it really um, breaks us out of not just the old IT silos, which is the, the old guard of this, the, the technical debt, the, the code we were laying down 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that we're still maintaining and still having to deal with, um, all the way to, um, you know, now the, the original, the early API stuff that was 2007 and eight. You know, that's technical debt now. We're having to write code to address those problems that we laid down. And but, once but that's you get... the problem. I mean, I think that that's the problem. Right, right there is the problem. We're having to write code, right? Like, you know, let I me mean, again back to this argument. The, the article says, you know, computer, the, the power, quote unquote, the power of computers, right? This, the speed of the processor, the amount of storage uh, has changed um, radically, has improved immensely in the last 40 years and programming is still the same right so the problem is that we are having to program pro, pro like the, the the solution is not that everyone should learn to code the solution is that we need to think about 
not having to code? Every, everyone should take a class on, on learning to human, I think. <laughs> I mean, that too. But like, you know, it's, this, it's a story that I love that my um, little brother, um, when he was visiting Seymour Papert one day, um, and I, I'm guessing that this must have been a very lucid day, or perhaps not for Seymour, but Fred asked him, what's the best language for learning to program? And, you know, Fred was thinking, Fred is someone who sort of is, wants to dabble in this stuff for his own work. He's, he's, a, um, he's a nurse practitioner, but, um, he, you know, he, he, likes, um, he likes data and math and, and computers. And so I think Fred was thinking that the answer was the answer Python or, or, or you know, Java or Perl or Lisp, right? I'm, I'm purposefully choosing programming languages that Seymour would have been more familiar with. And Seymour's response was English. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and I think that the, um, that that's, that's the thing. And I, and when I'm not, again, I'm not talking about here necessarily having some sort of AI natural language necessarily thinking about this in terms of like a natural language processing program that can understand English and translate things spoken or written English into code. I'm thinking about how do we radically rethink the way in which um, these machines, that a programmable machine is, um, how do we interact with a programmable machine? Um, and the the you know there's a again you know Brett Victor's work is I think um, pretty interesting here in the paths that the paths some of his work too in the paths that. Um, computer science did not take. And the path that computer science did take is one that leads us to this moment where the person who's the loudest champion in the U.S. for everyone learning to code is someone who sits on the board of director for Taser. And that's yeah. a problem. Well, it's happening that way for a reason. That's, uh, it's the money. I mean, I'm already seeing it in APIs. And spaces. it was the ideology. I mean, and obviously. Yeah, but, it's the ideology like that comes along with yeah. the money. And then it's the, the the people who are the coders' willingness to kind of just be blind. I mean, Taser and, is a you know, poli- like this is a police tech. Police technology is about control. Like this is back to the stuff I argue with computers as weapons of war. This is about control, but police are about the control of civilians. This is about civilian control. This is about surveillance. This is you know, body cams are a technology of surveillance. Um, this is about compliance. Right. This is not, you know, I'm not saying that like this is some sort of like vast conspiracy, but like that that this that this that this you know to me it's sort of you know this is sort of exemplifies part of the problem that when we're dealing with these really powerful corporations that isn't they aren't just they aren't just there for the sake of business largely yes they are there for the sake of business right that's that's what business does no matter who shows up to, for a for a white house um, press thing but there are these other pieces there are these other underlying ideologies that come with tech that are deeply deeply troubling and it's not it's not just oops um, facebook screwed up and we undermined western democracy it's there is something there is actually something there in the water of this industry, of this field, that 
does that. It's being codified into everything right now. It's being baked in and it's being laid down in these these layers of technical debt that, that uh, we're not going to be able to unwind. We're not supposed to unwind. The stuff is supposed to remain complex and technical and 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 something that 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 you, you can't you know as Seymour would say you can't just you know describe in in plain English, you know, plain language. So it's it's like that for a reason. Uh, well, we were out of time, and we ran out of time before we could talk about um, Anthony Lewandowski's um, plans to start an AI religion, but um, which I think cynically is also about money, um, because. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, we're repeating ourselves, but we have to pay much closer. We have to give much closer scrutiny. I think to the practices and the narratives that are that are accompanying these these technologies um, because again you know to see someone like Mark Zuckerberg sort of throw up his hands and say I'm sorry I had no idea what, what we didn't we didn't know how could we have known you know I saw Biz Stone one of the founders of Twitter on Twitter today someone called them out for you know opting to go with a 280 character extension over addressing abuse white supremacy, neo-Nazism on the platform. And he sort of threw up his hands, how, how, you know, what could we possibly do? What could we do? I'm like, Biz, you're the, you're the founder of Twitter. I bet you there's something you could do. I mean, why be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar, or a case of Twitter, a couple hundred thousand dollar <laughs> worth company, um, if there's nothing you can do? You're the boss. Yeah, we we seem. I mean, it's it's kind of like Trump being, you know, throwing up his hands and saying, you know, Puerto Rico is, is so hard when we're able to. You it's know, it is an island in the middle a, of water, island, big water, big water out, in ocean the water, ocean, ocean water. Yeah, um, you know, these we can solve anything with tech until we absolutely have to, and it's a real problem. And then we throw up our hands and say, "What are we supposed to do?" Yeah, can't do it too complicated unless we're Elon Musk and then it's (laughs) then it's easy rockets we just need rockets (laughs) yeah well that's that's a story that we've talked about before but I'm sure we'll revisit too so till next week till next week